With the 31st pick in the 2015 NFL Draft, the New Orleans Saints select Stephon Anthony, Good. linebacker, Clemson. Good pick. They lost Curtis Lofton in free agency. Jonathan Velma no longer in the league. They miss a signal caller and a leader on their defense. And Stephon Anthony did just that for Clemson. It's time for Cofield and Company's path to the draft. Not everyone nails the number one picks. The Saints nailed a lot of them, but in the case of Stephon Anthony, did not. Uh, I love the job the Vast Sound crew is doing by pulling some of the old botched first-round picks with all the teams recovering, especially when they include John Gruden on the analysis and then to wait it at the end from Clemson. Now we know. Now we know. I don't think, I don't think we were paying attention to what was going to happen potentially with Gruden back in the NFL and his love of Clemson and Alabama players, but, boy, he drafted a lot of them, and, boy, oh, boy, several did not work out. No, not at all. <laughs> at all. Uh, let's get down to New Orleans. They have the 19th and 16th pick in this draft. And covering the team for NOLA.com is Amy Just up with Steve and Adam here in Las Vegas. How are you? I am good. It is a never-ending cycle. Hard to believe the draft is a week away. Um, feels like it's just been a nonstop roller coaster pretty much all offseason long. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk about the offseason. First of all, uh, what is the feel around the organization now without both Drew Brees and Sean Payton? Does it feel much different? No. I mean, yes, because obviously it's Sean Payton and Drew Brees who are, you know, together looked at as, you know, the the highest of highs, right, um, in New Orleans. But there hasn't been a lot of moving pieces everywhere else. Um, offensive coordinator is still the same. Um, you know, the two defensive coordinators that they have, um, both of them were on the staff last year. Their head coach was an in-house promotion who will effectively serve as their third defensive coordinator. Um, you know, they kept a bunch of assistant coaches. They have had some changes, um, as any new regime does, but it doesn't feel a whole lot different yet. We haven't talked to Dennis Allen a whole lot, um, you know, a handful of times. Same with Nikki Loomis, just a handful of times. So when we'll see the difference, I think that'll be next week in how the draft plays out, um, if they're as aggressive as they normally are with, under Sean Payton, if Dennis Allen continues that, um, we'll find out. Uh, if the alleged plan would have worked out with Tom Brady and Sean Payton going to Miami, would there be a different feeling about Sean, Sean Payton's exit? If, if he would have orchestrated this and gone to Miami, would there be a lot of bitterness and animosity toward him? Um, I don't know how much I think that had a lot of truth to it. Um, okay. But, yeah, um, even if Sean goes somewhere next year, whether that be to Dallas or wherever, I think there will be a group of people who would feel upset with him. Um, but on the flip side, if he goes anywhere next year, the Saints are going to get, you know, 
paid a king's ransom because he's still under contract, so they're going to get drafted. So you'd be upset, but at least you'd get something for him at least in the next year. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there's a couple of things we have to talk about before we get into the draft because I think they're related to the draft. The first is, what is the status of Michael Thomas and how much do they think that he can actually help them? Yeah, so it sounds like he's back close to 100%. Um, but what is 100%, right? Like, is it the 2019 version of Michael Thomas? Huh. That'd be cool. Um you know, that was the last time he played meaningful football because um, he sustained his initial high ankle sprain in week one of the 2020 season, which feels like a million years ago. Um, so the Saints offense needs him in any capacity, even at 50%, based off what they looked like last year. Um, but, yeah, I'm interested to see what he looks like when, uh, you know, we're allowed to see workouts and stuff. And I guess some, somewhat related to that, there was a big-name wide receiver that is supposedly on the market now in Debo Samuel, as we learned yesterday. How involved do you expect the Saints to be? I don't know how involved they'll be. Knowing the Saints, I know they'll do their due diligence on it. They do with everybody that's at least relatively interesting um, we'll see. I know that um, they they need somebody else. Their offense cannot just run through Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, um, especially if Alvin has his, you know, uh, any discipline of sorts from his antics in your city um, during Pro Bowl weekend. Uh, obviously, that is still pending. He's got a court case. He's got a court hearing next week. Um, but I feel like that's nowhere close to being over. Um, so, yeah, they've got a lot of what-ifs uh, on the table, that's for sure. So let's talk about having two picks now. Why did they want an extra pick in the first round? They've got a lot of needs. Um, do they want to package them and move up? It wouldn't surprise me, um, but it's all about finding a trade partner, you know, based on the, you know, the, the metrics and fair trades and stuff. If they wanted to package these two together to move up into the top five, they could do so. It's just about finding that trade partner and what they want, right? I don't think you need to trade into the top five to get a quarterback if that's what you want. You know, if you want to trade into the top five to get one of the better tackles, that feels okay. That would make sense. Um, trading into the top five for a receiver, I don't think that one that would make sense either. But again, it's all about how they value their guys and the Saints. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to try to think about what Dennis Allen is going to do because Sean Payton, as you know, as aggressive as he was. You knew what you were getting out of a Sean Payton prototype player. Do we know what that looks like for Dennis Allen? Not necessarily, and especially not on offense. So I don't know what they're going to do, but if they want to move up, they definitely can. Maybe JossNola.com covers the Saints. 
Uh, last one with the 16 and 19 pick. Would it shock you? I mean, it kind of makes sense that they would look at uh, certainly help on the offensive line at tackle and yeah. a receiver there. Yeah, I think I think so. There's a lot of receivers um, in this draft that fit um, what Jeff Ireland, their head of college scouting, wants for. Um, so they don't want a whole lot of injury history. So I don't know how much that has changed in recent years, um, especially with guys just coming back from injury um, like they were never hurt in the first place. Uh, but, yeah, I if they stand pat, I'd go tackle. Um, the Northern Iowa tackle, um, if he's still there, would be a good fit, I think. And then any number of the receivers, if they make it down that far, um, if Jamison Williams, if he makes it down that far, um, he's one of those who, you know, coming off an injury. Uh, the second wide receiver from Ohio State would be a good fit. Um, so if Kenny Pickett is there, wouldn't surprise me if they take him either. It sounds like uh, the team's pretty high on him. But Amy, he knows thank, that he'll be there. Amy, thank you so much. We appreciate the time. Thank you. There she is, Amy Just, NOLA.com, covers the Saints. I mean, she is right in some ways. Uh, it's a bit unpredictable now that, you know, Sean Payton isn't running the organization. Um, I don't like any of these quarterbacks that high, so I think the Saints taking a quarterback or even using those two picks to trade up, um, I think that's stupid on both fronts. My guess is they're standing pat. I'm listening to a bunch of different conversations with uh, Daniel Jeremiah, right, who's very good on the draft. Uh, over on the Doug Gottlieb show, he's been saying repeatedly, the people he talks to, the Saints traded into the first round you know, for a second pick, moved, you know, grabbed a second pick from the uh, Eagles because they think they're close. They actually think they're close because they've had so much success against the Buccaneers. They believe their defense is good to awesome, and they want to go and get a couple of starters, and they want to compete now. And on offense. And, and, I mean, tackle and receiver are the holes that they need to fill. Um, I, I, I think along those lines – is the same reason why I think Debo is a possibility. Because you've got the capital now to do it. You think you're close. So go make the move that makes you close. You're not going to get a receiver in the draft that's going to help you as much as Debo is this year. Uh, so if you can get Debo and a tackle out of those two picks, and you believe you're close on defense and just need a couple of difference makers on offense, that does it for you. Let's go! The Football Frenzy on Cofield and Company. Moving towards the halfway point here at Silver 7, tracking some baseball, NBA, NHL. We'll get to NBA in the 5 o'clock hour. A lot more on VGK and the Robin Leonard, Pete DeBoer, Kelly McCrimmon, Bill Foley, Logan Thompson thing. We're trying to figure it out. Because you want to accentuate the positive, they got two points last night, so that was good, right? But Dallas lost. That was good. Pulling the goalie in a 1-1 game, and there was a lot of things that qualify the 1-1 game. There was a lot to judge there, but we'll get to that in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Um, you know, when we were talking about Leonard, I mentioned to you, the goalie, it's, it's such a key position, and you know on a team where, say, it's a – well, when it was Flurry and Leonard, you got a 50-50 deal, right? Thompson and Leonard, I, I don't know. Right now, it might be like a 60-40 deal in favor of Leonard in terms of, like, who should play and 
how the other guys view them and rally around them and judge them, right? And I think in a lot of ways, goalies are like quarterbacks, right? And in UNLV's case, last year they went through a bunch of quarterbacks. Cam Friel got most of the time because the other guys couldn't stay healthy, and Friel did improve as the year went along. So you know on a football team where there's not a definitive starter, there are different groups on the team who favor one guy over the other, right? And that's just the way it's going to be. Now, UNLV's throwing a third quarterback into the mix. So they've got Brumfield, they've got Cam Friel, and now they've got Harrison Bailey. And they're all basically, you try to figure out eligibility at this point, but they're all basically kind of in the same zone with lots of eligibility left. And Brumfield is kind of a Arroyo guy, but he was really a Sanchez commit. But, you know, he, he brought him in, right? He, he stuck with him. Friel is an Arroyo guy. Bailey clearly is an Arroyo guy. So last week, Doug Brumfield, I guess, thought he was the odd man out, and he's like, I'm going to the transfer portal. Then we find out yesterday, I'm coming out of the transfer portal. Now, I would say, weird, right? But I don't, really don't think it's that weird because I think the transfer portal is just a wacky deal. It is a wacky deal. And there are kids right now in spring all over the country who are like, well, I thought I was in this position, but now I feel like I'm third, fourth, fourth, fifth in line for my position. So let me go in and explore. And help the, the most high-profile athlete at UNLV the last couple of years went into the transfer portal slash NBA process last year, and I think people were blown away that Bryce Hamilton came back. And it worked out. So these things happen. Now, I think there's a lot to the story. So we got a chance to talk to Marcus Arroyo today, the head coach at UNLV, and I asked him, hey, what's, what's the process? You know, seven, eight days later, quarterback goes into the portal, and you're like, come on back. And these are all learning, learning situations for us. You know, I think that we're learning that the, that portal is a two-way street. Um, it's not the first time it's happened to us. If you guys remember, this, this happened to us a couple of th- different times. And it's happened, happened to people all over. There's some cases even in our conference where, you know, long-time starting quarterbacks decide they're going to leave on a coaching change, and they end up staying, you know. And then we've got all over the country different situations. And I think I'm trying to learn from all of them myself. Um, I'm trying to pay attention to them and kind of figure out the best landscape and then internally try to deal with it in the most humane way possible. And I think they're... There's a ton of education involved in it for us as a family and have to deal with certain emotional decisions and things with the young people, and I think that's part of it. It's a, that's We say that that's what we we're supposed to do as coaches, and I think that's a piece that I think um, you guys heard me say I was disappointed, but I also understood it as a two-way street. You know? and, and so when we had a conversation quickly after, uh, we called back, talked to his dad, and, and we talked together again. All right, there's a lot in there. First of all, I like his approach in that, at least publicly, he's saying, we're trying to learn. Like, we're trying to navigate this thing. Because you have so many, and I don't want to brand all old coaches, but you have so many other coaches who are like, portal! You know, and basically like, they don't want to be here, they quit on us, move along. Like, it's a very complicated process. He mentioned a bunch of stuff there. It's happened to us before. It did happen in the past with Tylee Collins. He went in, months later, he's there during the spring, and Arroyo told me then, he's like, you know, we just had a talk. There were a lot of misunderstandings. And we talked to Brumfield this morning, and he said, you know, a lot of it was a communication issue. Arroyo also pointed to the fact that Jake Hayner was leaving Fresno State for like two weeks because Kalen DeBoer was going to Washington. He was going to Washington. He came back. So a guy at that level changed his mind, right? And I I also, I like the line from Arroyo where he says, that's what we're supposed to do. And I think so many coaches lose sight of, you are an educator. 
You are a father figure, a mentor. You're the adult. Calm down, right? We've got we've got Debo Samuel and Kyler Murray in recent weeks cleaning out their social media. They're like what, 24 and 27, whatever they are. <laughs> These guys are 20. It's like a a parent when a kid's like I'm running away and going somewhere and the parents like, "All right, good. Get out." Like you, you would never do that. Like the transfer portal is a reopening of your recruitment. That's what the it maybe it needs a different name so people understand it better. I don't know. But it's reopening your recruitment. And guess what? You're allowed to recruit the kids that are in the portal from your own school. Right. You're re-recruiting them. You're telling them like, "Hey, we we still want you here." Brumfield told us this morning that he talked to his teammates pretty much every day. Maybe not every one of them, but he talked to teammates at UNLV every day that he was in the portal. So that's also yeah. a factor, right? I'm sure guys were like, dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and Arroyo said it last week. I think part of his disappointment is, and I would be disappointed, the quarterback position, you put a lot of work into that position. They've invested a couple of years in Doug Brumfield, and he was going to go into the portal. He's come back. He was out there practicing this morning. Um, I thought this was interesting, too. Arroyo said, you know what, not only did – Brumfield and I talk, and I talked to his dad, but I also went to our leadership council. He asked the other players, hell, Adam, we saw a situation at Arizona State where the players flipped out on uh, Jane Daniels, moving on to LSU, so you got to talk to your players. So here he talks about the leadership council. I met with the leadership council again, and we had a very candid conversation about our family and some of the decisions and, and things that go into things like that, and uh, I got their opinions. They were very candid as well, which was really good. I think that there's a lot to be said about the ability of players to talk to them, talk to each other in a certain way. It says a lot about, I think, their, their connectedness and their, their humbleness and togetherness in regards to saying certain things they felt about. And so we met, we, we collected a lot of information, I talked to the staff, and then um, got back with Doug, and we had a really good conversation, and, and so I think that uh, we're excited to have him back. And I think that I'm excited for him to, to work his way back into the locker room. I think there's some things there that are going to be uh, really, really good for him as a man, too, and, and, and regaining people's trust and having open dialogue with people. And I think that's something we can all learn from, everybody. Yep, regaining people's trust. And I wonder if the leadership council, you know, the leaders on the team had said, listen, this is what we're seeing, Coach. He's a crumb. He doesn't work. Uh, team, teammates don't like him. No one trusts him. All right, well, then that's the decision. Right, that's got to be a big part of the decision. Yeah, I'm uh, guessing they didn't do that, but talking to your players is important. Yeah, and I'm sure part of it was, hey, we want him here, and and then that's why Arroyo, you know, pushed forward and went and talked to Doug, went to talk to his family, and said, okay, we we still want him here, and re-recruited him and got him back here, and and that's how it's supposed to work. If if somebody wants to explore their options, they can, but one of those options could be to come back. Um, we're seeing it. I know you're not caught up. We're seeing it all American right now. It's it's it's, it's happening in the locker room. Uh, the best TV show out there, except for winning time. Uh, a lot of uh, friction between some of the teammates. But these are things you have to deal with. The other thing with quarterbacks, it's not only what you see on the field and what you see at practice. It's also the work behind the scenes. And I've been saying on the air, I I don't know where Brumfield is in terms of putting in the work off of the field. If he's up to snuff with the other guys. So Arroyo was in front of me, and I asked him point blank. I'm like, does 
Is that one of the areas that Doug has to work on off the field work? There was limitations to it. Um, the injuries in the season are a little bit weird because then we're, we're really practicing and going through it. You know, with limitations being injured, there's only a certain amount of stuff you can do. I think it becomes a lot of mental stuff when you can't do anything physically. But I have not been discouraged at all by the stuff that, that, that Doug or anyone in the quarterback room has done off, off the field. I think they've, again, had some dark hours, which has been really good. And that means that they've pulled teammates closer to them. And maybe it hasn't been perfect. You know, as a, as a freshman, sometimes you don't know. Um, if you've got no one in front of you, you don't have anyone to watch do that, you know. Um, and so I think that uh, for what we've asked them to do and, and their response, I think it's uh, it's gone up. And then in, in the past, I think I haven't been too disappointed with the way that they've done anything off the field. So the beginning of the comment is, hey, Brumfield was hurt all last year. Did he use the time when he was hurt to do the work off of the field? And he just said, it, it's kind of tough. You know, you can't do anything physically. So it, it is it does complicate the process. Yeah, but you can still, you know, be in the be in the classroom and watch film and and help other guys get prepared. And I think that's usually what you see guys that are good teammates do. And that's probably why guys were excited to have him back. Um, also, I've seen fans, several of them, followers of UNLV, when Brumfield went into the transfer portal. And for folks who are just tuning in, Doug Brumfield, one of the quarterbacks for UNLV, into the portal last week, out of the portal yesterday, practicing this morning. But I've seen a lot of fans who were like. He quit on his team. He's running from competition. And I said to Arroyo, what do you say to folks on the outside who see this uh, who say that, you know, Doug was quitting on the team and didn't want to battle? I can't really respond to it in that way. I've got to kind of assess it individually. You know, I've got to see what it is exactly that each player is thinking about, you know. And there's a lot of things behind the scenes now. I mean, there's a lot of who are they talking to? Who are they listening to? There's so many things now that weren't alive, maybe. Even, and I can't assume that it was the same when I was a player. I didn't have Twitter or social media where I had 5,000 messages from people I don't know that I have to read and or I read or I see and they may influence my 18-year-old part or mine, let alone my parents. They may think of something they're not even here. So I think you've really got to dive into it individually in each case and go, hey, you know what? Really, what is it? And I think once you get down to that, no different than when you're talking with your family, it might be something you're like, hey, we just need to talk through this a little bit more. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe there was something that we both could do better and meet in the middle. And, and I humbly would say I'm, I'm imperfect in that regard, too. And this whole situation is hard, regardless if it's Doug or anybody else. And so I think navigating that has to be something that we're all collectively stripping ourselves down of our, of our ego and saying, hey, I don't got this figured out. Let's communicate it. And if it's best for both worlds to, to go the other way, Got to do that too, but I think if there's cases like Doug's, where I don't, I can't use the other ones in the country, but it's happened in other places. They probably sat there and went, you know what, this was not the best decision. It was an emotional decision, or maybe someone influenced me, and, and let's rethink it. And so I think that's just how we've dealt with it here, and I think if each case is going to be dealt with different. So there you go. Could be an emotional decision. Could be other people affecting your decision. And I'll tell you, the other one is for fans out there, and this this is a discussion we had going back ten years now. There are a couple of UNLV basketball teams that I just thought wilted at times because of social media. And fans are like, well, you know, not a factor. I'm telling you it's a factor. If you're 20 or 21, your back was, you know, broken last year, you can't play, you see another guy emerge ahead of you in Cam Friel, they bring in another quarterback in Harrison Bailey, then you see dozens if not hundreds of messages come down the last month that – Bailey, the transfer from Tennessee, they didn't bring him here to sit on a bench. That will get to you. And anyone who denies that, maybe you don't get that at your workplace, at your workplace. I'm not saying yours, but our listeners. I do. Right? (laughs) But at every workplace, there is an insecurity about, "Am am I secure in my job? Why is that person here? Why are they showing more love there? You know, why is this person getting this? And you folks listening are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. 
I sound like I'm defending Doug Brumfield well, a lot. I just want I want people to understand there's a lot of factors that may not be that obvious in why college football players are like, man, I'm not where I thought I was going to be. And then if communication breaks down and you throw in social media with all these messages saying, hey, dude, you know what? You ain't in anymore. You're third in well, line. It, it doesn't – and you're you're talking about volume. It doesn't have to be volume. Like, I, I, I've seen it before. Obviously, I don't care. Like, I welcome the anti-hate and everything on social media. There are people that will get 75 positive messages on, say, a story that they wrote and one negative one. And the one negative one is so overwhelming. Like, when when you're referencing this – you know, people are people are saying on competition, good, we don't want you. Get out of here. You ran from competition. I've seen one person doing it, and it's one of the dumbest people that's on social media. So uh, it's one person, but I think that kind of gets in people's head. Like, oh, look what that per- that person is saying this. Like, it's it's one moron, and that really has a, a strong effect. It doesn't have to be a lot of people. And if you're out there saying, like, I've, I've seen so many positive messages of this person. What are you talking about? The negative ones are so much stronger. They are. And it doesn't matter who they come from or what anonymous troll sends them out, anything like that. It's one person's message. I'm not saying I'm not telling you to stop using social media, and you know, uh, I, I'm saying it's not real life all the time. And it could be one person. It could be, it could be a fake account by somebody that's competing for a job with you, and they're just trying to get in your head. Like you just don't know where those messages are coming from. So, like, use social media, embrace it, have it be a part of you know your whole experience. But don't get caught up on like one message or one person or things like that. You use it for what it is, and, and it's fun, and it's a it's an addition to life. It's not everything. It's not life. Sign up for an A Play card and unlock some great food specials at the Sterling Spoon Cafe at Silver Sevens Hotel and Casino. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Like the wallpaper sticks to the wall. Like the sea shark clings to the sea. Like you'll never get rid of your shadow. Frank, you'll never get rid of me. Rolling on here, Silver Sevens. Happy hour going down right now. 277 on beers, margaritas, and shots. Dangerous Danny's helping us out. On the scene, we're at the Bud Light Lounge, so come on down. NBA playoffs rolling out again. We'll get to the latest story with the Nets. Adam would like to reign on the parade of a glorious victory. No shocker there. That's all coming up on Cofield and Company, and we're about uh, eight minutes away from checking in. Lots of college football talk, even, yes, in late April. Brad Powers will join us college football did you see the note right fat pack always about food and lifestyle did you see the note about what the Rams are doing this year with their draft house headquarters it's a I mean (laughs) house is kind of an understatement 14,000 square foot home in Hollywood Hills Sounds like a nice time. Are they just trying to upstage uh, the Kingsbury shots from last year? Well, I think that's the actual Kingsbury home, right? It is, but now they have. They're like, all right, we're going to go one one step further. We're going to have our you know draft room where they show us in pictures, and it's going to be even better than that because we're in the same division. We have to win. For the audience that didn't see Kingsbury's house, describe it. Like what blew you away? Well, it's like floor to ceiling windows. It looked like it was a villa. 
just the unbelievable yeah. pool and backyard with the fire pit and everything behind it. Yep. And he just was always so relaxed that it just looked like he was living the life. Are the Rams trading away all their first-round picks just so they can hang out in a draft house? Probably. They're like, yeah, we'll chill. Don't worry about first couple of days of the draft. Well, it's amazing that a team whose now motto on T-shirts is F them picks <laughs> to be celebrating the draft. It's just a party. Sure. They got a couple of picks to make, and that's it. We're going to hang out. Less need. Yeah, but do they get to see Marshmallow? Oh, you think you're missing out by not coming to Vegas? Sure. 14,000 square foot house in the Hollywood Hills. Six bedrooms. Pool, patio, library, full bar. Skate ramp. <laughs> Necessary. McVeigh on a skate ramp? Or is, is it a fiancé, girlfriend, or wife now? Uh, I thought... I thought they got married. I'm not 100% sure. I know they got engaged. Yeah. With Veronica. Fire pit. Also, golf simulator. Like, do they just just need calling a a pick late in the draft while McVay's just swinging on the golf simulator? Well, you need those activities. I mean, they don't have a pick. On Thursday, what are they going to do? They're going to hang out and watch the draft. Online, it rents for $9,500 per night. Seems reasonable. I saw someone say the Rams are arrogant, but they don't get called on it because they did win. So they've got some equity. I mean, McVeigh has always been kind of – he's p- been painted that brush. And Snead, obviously, too, with the, the F them picks motto. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think you're allowed to be when you win. I think that's kind of the, the trade-off that you're allowed to have. Like, you get called out on being arrogant if you don't win. And the Rams don't have to worry about that. God, I'm trying to remember. I cannot remember for the life of me. I usually have a good memory on uh, someone saying something that blows up in their face. I cannot remember the ex-football player who was getting all over the Rams – Oh, it was Aikman. Oh. All over the Rams midseason. He's like, I don't know, this collection of superstar thing, I don't think it's working. <laughs> Troy's very... Well, he, very for those true. kind of takes, he just got paid $18 million to go to, uh, what, Amazon? Where's he going? ESPN. Him and, uh, him and Buck are on ESPN. They're ESPN. Yeah. That it's, one didn't work. It's very vanilla. That actually, that was a good take. Now, I think people should revisit it. Like, you were wrong, dude. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a good take. It, was, it worked. Well, it was it was a take that blew up in his face, so that is a good take. Oh, yeah, yes. It was strong yes. and hot, which does matter. just wasn't right. I am fascinated to follow. We had the uh, Steelers expert on yesterday in our path to the draft, Brooke Pryor, and she wrote a story on ESPN.com about the Steelers are sticking with draft and develop. They've only traded their first-round pick, uh, I think, six total times to move up, down, out, whatever, of the first round. They've only done it six times since 1967. It's always worked. Draft and develop. And I asked her, I was like, okay, well, that can work for, like, the last 17 years when you have a quarterback. Yeah. Like, what happens when you don't have a quarterback, and now they're like, eh, we're going to go the cheap route. We think we we like what we see in Trubisky. We're going to develop there. Okay, well, what happens when that blows up in their face? Do they have to go away from draft and develop? Like the Rams. I think true works. It's, it's the it's the truth era. Listen, here's here's the 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 one thing I will fight back on you. They haven't had a quarterback the last three years. Well, I agree. They they at least knew who the quarterback was. Now he was a bottom half of the league quarterback the last three years. Yeah, but at least you you have some certainty at the position, even if he underperformed compared to the standards he set when. You think Trubisky, you you do you do you actually think Trubisky's an upgrade automatically? One hundred percent. Really? I don't, I don't think that's a question. Okay. 
Okay. Well, it is. I just asked you. Yeah, I don't. I, well, I mean, you. It's a. It's a question. I don't think it's a legitimate question. I think it's yes. a question. I think it's a massive upgrade. I, Trubisky could be the 14th best quarterback. He could turn out to be the 28th best starter. And it's an upgrade. He was bad. He wasn't that bad. I think he was. I. I. I yes. I think. Do I think Roethlisberger was in the bottom three starting quarterbacks last year? Yes. Have you bet the over on the Steelers? What's no. the win total? I don't know. No, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried that they could take, like, Pickett. Hey, spoiler alert, our special section's coming out this week. Don't take Pickett. Uh, don't take Pickett. I had to do top five most overrated players in the draft. Yep. Number one, Kenny Pickett. You know what? I retract that. Take Pickett. Because I, I, I've said forever, I can't stand Steelers fans because get away from your, you know, your point about Roethlisberger not being that good the last couple of years. It's it's real nice when you have a quarterback for that long, and you're you know, and 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 by the way, a coach who's underappreciated. He's a he is a great oh, coach. Great. It's real easy when you start to lose some of the goods. Let's see how loyal the Steelers fans well, are, and I could wish nothing better upon them. Then overdrafting Kenny Pickett. It would be fantastic. And making him the future of the franchise. Think, I, I actually... Think, think, uh, think of the intense battle between Cliff Stout and Mark Malone. I think it could and be enjoy worse. Enjoy that era. It could be worse if Mason Rudolph is their <laughs> the future. You'll be and looking back... And then you back, have a terrible person who's also a terrible You'll be looking back and going, my God, Bobby Brister was great. Sure. Uh, don't you feel bad for Steelers fans right Neil now? No, no, He was awesome. Don't you feel bad for Steelers fans today, though? Like, weren't they named the ugliest fan base yesterday? Is that right? Yeah, I think there was a, a, a poll put out of ugliest fan bases. I believe Steelers were number one. Bills were number two. You I wish. think Packers were number three. Well, you do have a lot of Bills Bills fans in your family, right? Sure. Are they listening today? Am I doing this again? I don't think they are. I, mean, I, I think that was a fairly fair, uh, you know, breakdown. Steelers fans are... For the most part, but it is kind of unfair to, you know, cold, cold white places. All their fans are in the ugly list. There's really no reason to be handsome for two months a year or be in shape. Sure. What's the point? It's cold sure. all the time. Exactly. All right, you d- you just said pin you down to it. We're gonna get Brad Powers in here. I'm gonna pin you down to it. That Trubisky is definitely better than Roethlisberger. Brad's coming up. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Five reasons. The need. They have the long-term financial flexibility. They have the draft capital to do it. Oh, and guess what? They've got the Robert Sala, Mike LaFleur, San Francisco connection. And reason number five is the most important. After they <laughs> lost out on Tyree Kill, they finally have an explosive weapon for Zach Wilson, who is bound to win the Super Bowl this season, obviously. Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver Sevens with Cofield and We'll get to Debo and possible landing spots, and if this is all worth all of this shatter. Listen, it's fun. It's the NFL. We've seen a bunch of trades. I don't know if Debo Samuel is going anywhere, but that was Kimberly Martin, one of the newer NFL insiders for ESPN. So Adam and I were just going back and forth. wasn't that intense, but we were just talking about the Steelers, Steelers fans that they've had and also the Steelers organization, they've had this, hey, we can draft and develop. Well, it's easy when you have a quarterback for like 17 years. Everything changes when you're scrambling and you don't have the QB plan. Brad Powers is with us. Brad, we'll get to a little college football here. I want to talk a little NFL to start. How you doing, buddy? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Adam Hill just threw out 
the thought that Mitch Trubisky is definitely better and an upgrade on Ben Roethlisberger, at least the big Ben of the last couple of years. You buy that? Uh, I don't think it's that outrageous. I, I think there's a good possibility that he's an upgrade, at least over what Ben Roethlisberger was last season. I mean, <laughs> if you watched closely, especially late in the season, I mean, I go back to that Monday night game against the Browns, which, you know, the Steelers actually won that game, but, I mean, it was a tough watch. And what do I mean by tough? I mean, Roethlisberger was having problems throwing anything, you know, longer than 10, 15 yards. So I think without question that Trubisky can be an improvement over what we saw at the end of Big Ben last season. And if that's the case, then I think Pittsburgh's a little undervalued in the betting markets, at least inside that division. All right, lock it in. Steelers, William Hill, over under seven and a half wins. You guys are both on the over. Yeah, I'm on the over. I'll take the over. Let's go, Adam. I'll run to the book right now. You guys can do the spot. Give me the money. By the way, I think I think Brad was getting to the same thing. Uh, I wasn't giving a ringing endorsement of Mitch Trubisky. Uh, I just Ben Roethlisberger played like he. Like, I mean, he's the corpse of Ben Roethlisberger. He couldn't move. He couldn't throw. He was just dragging them down out there. So that was kind of my point. And I think Brad seems to be on the same page. I don't think they absolutely have to go quarterback in this draft. I don't think well, it's a necessity. It's, we went beyond that, Brad. Um, I was saying it would be an incredibly stupid move for the Steelers to overdraft Kenny Pickett. What do you think of Pickett? Uh, I think I don't – I wouldn't take him in the top ten. I, I put it that way. I know Pittsburgh's picking at 20 there. Uh, you know, 20, I don't think it's an incredible reach mm. to take a, a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis there. I mean, I – I wouldn't have any, you know, big time. Yeah, I wouldn't ding Pittsburgh for for taking them at that spot. So, I, I don't have a problem if they really like them or think that either one can be end up being a quality starter. Why not? You know, it's not like you're you're taking either one. You're not giving up a ton of draft capital. Uh, it's not like you're trading up to get them. Uh, I I wouldn't do any of that. But yeah, I I, I would give them a passing grade if they took uh, one of those two guys at twenty. And, and I don't know if you I don't know if you feel the same way. But to me, when you draft a quarterback in the first round you have to draft somebody who has the potential to be very, very good. And to me, Malik Willis could be bad. Like, there's a potential he could be bad. But his upside is so unbelievable with the strong arm, the athletic ability, that he could be a game changer, that if he does work out, you're happy. To me, if Kenny Pickett really works out and if everything goes well, he's Kirk Cousins, which is fine, but that's not a guy I want to pick in the first round. I, you know, I, I'm okay with it. So, I, I mean, you, if he's, I'll take Kirk Cousins uh, if he's on a rookie contract. I don't want to pay Kirk Cousins $100 million, but if you're telling me I'm getting somebody as good as him on a rookie you know, contract, I would like that a lot. I could build up around him. And we've seen, you know, really since uh, Seattle did it 10 years ago with Russell Wilson, I mean, uh, the format's pretty simple. I mean, a lot of these teams can compete. And I would trust the Pittsburgh organization to build around a quarterback like that. So I – Again, I don't. With Pittsburgh, I trust them a little bit more than, than, than other franchises. So, I again do not have a problem taking either one of those guys at number twenty. All right, I'm looking to fight today. All right, so I don't like that was too that was too nice. All of that. Um, you and I have had the discussion, Brad, about the transfer portal and how it's going to spread talent over different conferences, other power fives. And then I see you tweet out something about, hey, casuals, look at this Alabama running back. Bruh, first of all, and you can describe what was in the highlight, uh, we need a little more time to judge if college football is going to get a little more balanced because of the transfer portal than two seasons, one of them being a COVID season. 
Yeah, I mean, I get it more, you know, sample size, but, I mean, I, I've seen enough. Uh, I mean, I, I've i seen Alabama in 2020 have one of the best teams I've ever seen, and I would have seen them win another national championship last year if their, quarter, if their wide receivers don't get hurt. I mean, they beat Georgia again, you know, back-to-back, if, <laughs> maybe even with one of the two starting wide receivers. So, And then coming into this season, Alabama's historically a favorite, meaning their future odds are as short as any team in the last 20 years. Uh, I mean, they're less than 2-1 to one to win the title. So, I mean, early sample size, but as of right now, it certainly hasn't hurt Alabama. It's only made them stronger. Tell people about the highlight you sent out from a spring game. Well, I mean, it's Jameer Gibbs, who I thought was, you know, arguably maybe the most underrated running back in the country. You know, he's a high four-star kid that went to Georgia Tech. I mean, he could do it all, catch a ball in the backfield. I mean, he's a more powerful runner than, than people give him credit. He can return kicks. I mean, he's a guy that I think is, you know, in the right system, would have been a first-team all-conference type player. Uh, at Alabama, he can be a Heisman Trophy caliber type of player with the talent around him. And, I mean, the highlight is him taking a handoff and pretty much going 75, 80 yards against the Alabama defense. So, uh, yeah, the rich are only getting richer, at least Uh-oh. as far as Alabama is concerned. Alabama defense must not be good. Well, they had to put, they had to take it. This is how good Alabama's defense is. They had to pull Will Anderson, who's by far the best defensive player in the entire country and one of the best defensive players I've ever seen at the college level. In order for the offense to get a good look, they had to yank him because he was literally sacking the quarterback every single play. So, as you can hear, Brad does a great job keeping track of spring games and pointing out guys that are standing out uh, throughout the spring if you want to get your fix of college football and get prepared early uh, for what's going to go on. But you're really twisting the knife on people in Las Vegas here because you said one of the standouts at Michigan State, which looked really, really good, was a certain fellow by the name of Jacoby Windman. Yeah, I mean, uh, kudos for him. I mean, to, to, to transfer, I mean, obviously, was a standout for UNLV. But anytime you transfer you know, and move up uh, a notch or two to a Power Five level, a pretty good Power Five program, Michigan State. And I gotta say, he was one of the standouts. That, you know, Michigan State, you know, was noted last year for having a really good transfer class, and that was major, one of the major reasons why they basically went from a losing record to eleven wins there under Mel Tucker. And it was mainly on the offense side of the ball last year. Well. This year's defense. It wasn't just Windham, uh, Windman. It was a couple other guys they got from SEC programs. And looks like an instant impact type of player. I wouldn't be a bit surprised he's an instant starter at Michigan State. So <laughs> if that's the case, then obviously UNLV lost uh, a pretty good talent as far as the Rebels are concerned. At Brad Power Seven up on Twitter, uh, Brad. Brad's he's good man. He's he's watching all these spring games. He's putting up the video. He's got commentary. He's also salty. Um, I saw you get on, uh, kind of look like a Notre Dame homer who was saying the <laughs> spread between Notre Dame and Ohio State is way too big, and you're like, no, it's not. It's not big enough. Yeah, so, I mean, he couldn't understand the 13-point spread. Well, it opened 10 and a half, and, and, you know, me and, you know, a couple other people that, you know, trust me uh, moved that to 13, and if it wasn't, you know, if the game was kicking off in a month, uh, I would go ahead and continue to rebet that with it being five months I'm happy original Ohio State ticket, but my expectation is that line is going to close north of two touchdowns, and it's just a really bad matchup for a Notre Dame team. Week one, brand-new coach, brand-new quarterback, at the horseshoe, at night. Ohio State's defense is going to be improved, and Ohio State's offense is the best in the country. That's going to be a very bad look for Notre Dame, at least in week one. 
Brad, good spot. We appreciate it. I say good spot all the time, man. I say it all the time. <laughs> see, Thank see you. you. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. See you later. There he is. BradPowerSports.com. Lines are coming out week by week for college football. I know he's already down on like half a dozen, so each week we bring him in. He's breaking down some of the games, and he's got his, uh, his stadium college football road trip coming up. Big five on the way.